book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south of the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Kandake, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go over this, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He said, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb silent before its shearer. So he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the eyes. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom may I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord stashed Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. And I've been reflecting this week in the light of our passage for this morning on the question of how discernment works. How do we know what God's will for our lives actually is? Either at a kind of meta level or in the day-to-day -day minutiae of our daily minutes and hours. One way of framing this is to ask the question of whether it is realistic or indeed appropriate for us to view God as a kind of micromanager of our lives. And certainly one way of reading our story for this morning from the book of Acts of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch might tend us towards seeing it this way. Here we have Philip, one of the original deacons, appointed along with Stephen, whose story we, we heard recently, uh, seeming to be going from place to place, 
kind of entirely at the whim and direction of the divine. At first, an angel tells him which road to take, and then the Holy Spirit tells him who to speak to, and then at the end of the story, he's just whisked away by further divine intervention to go and presumably convert and baptise someone else, somewhere else. It reads like a kind of idealised life of itinerant evangelism, following wherever the wind of the spirit blows, somewhat irresponsibly converting people at random and baptising them in roadside puddles. It's enough to make those of us who live more settled, structured and, dare I say, responsible lives feel rather inadequate. I've known plenty of Christians over the years who have taken the view that each moment of our lives should be directed by God and that God has a plan for each moment, for each chance encounter, for each conversion, for each relationship. So a mundane trip to the shops becomes an exciting opportunity for evangelism and success is measured by the number of conversions achieved on the way home. And I guess my question in all of this is whether this reading of Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch is actually doing justice to the story as Luke tells it in the book of Acts, or whether there might be a more helpful and less high pressure sales technique way of hearing this story. So I, I wonder if a way into hearing this differently is to start not with Philip, although we'll come back to him, but with the Ethiopian eunuch. There are a few things Luke tells us about him that it's important for us not to miss. Firstly, he's an Ethiopian, which means he's probably got black African skin colouring, as opposed to Philip and the other Jewish early disciples who would probably have looked Middle Eastern in appearance. We can't read our more contemporary experiences of racism back into this story, as so much of what we encounter as racism against black ethnicities owes its origins to the evils and the legacy of the transatlantic slave trade. We've been exploring this in our anti-racism study group on Wednesday evenings and if you've not been part of that and you'd like to join it just you know drop me an email and uh, I'll give you the details. But neither is it strictly true to say that his ethnicity is irrelevant. Luke makes a point of telling us that he is an Ethiopian. If we rewind back into the Hebrew Bible we find the book of Zephaniah, chapter 3, verse 10, telling of Jews scattering to Ethiopia in exile after the Babylonian conquest of Israel, some 600 years or so before uh, the time of the story we're reading about this morning. So it is quite likely that this man is both ethnically Ethiopian and also possibly Jewish. And a Jew with African skin in the first century would have been unusual, not unheard of, but certainly in Jerusalem, at least unusual. It would have marked him as a potential outsider on his pilgrimage to Jerusalem, someone who would have drawn attention. As Luke demonstrates, of course, by drawing our attention to it. Secondly, he is a eunuch. Luke certainly doesn't want us to miss this detail, as he uses the word five times in this relatively short story. 
By comparison, the only other time the word eunuch appears anywhere else in the New Testament is in one saying of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. Eunuchs were, I guess are, uh, men who had been castrated before they reached puberty, and as such, they have distinct physical characteristics. Their voice doesn't break, so they keep their high child's voice into adulthood. Famously, and more recently in historical terms, this aspect of being a eunuch led to a continuation of the practice into comparatively recent times, with young boys who showed excellence in singing ability, sometimes being castrated to become what was known as a castrato, uh, a male singing voice capable of singing in the female vocal ranges. Castrato were created for both church and opera use, and the practice wasn't outlawed until astonishingly the late 19th century, meaning recordings exist of them performing. And as I was researching for my sermon this morning, I found myself going down a little kind of rabbit hole on YouTube, finding and listening to recordings of castrato males singing um, soprano parts. But there are other physical changes that the practice induces in eunuchs, including long limbs, short stature, uh, you don't get the teenage growth spurt, the inability to grow a beard, um, which would have been something particularly noticeable in the ancient world when beards were the norm. Um, and all of this meant that in addition to his skin colour, he had further physical characteristics that would have marked him out as unusual, marginalised, somebody who people would have turned their heads to have a look at as he went past. And of course, there was one further result of being a eunuch that I haven't yet mentioned, which is that he would have been deemed safe from a female perspective. There was no possibility of him fathering a child with someone, which was why he was able to be a high-ranking official within the court of the Ethiopian queen, the Kandake. Families looking to advance themselves financially and socially would sometimes in antiquity volunteer one of their male children to become a eunuch, which combined with an excellent education could open the doors to some of the highest officers in the land. Interestingly, it wasn't unheard of for eunuchs to marry and adopt children, so a family could do very well out of this. And it certainly seems as though this is the case with our Ethiopian eunuch on the road to Jerusalem. He's part of the Queen's court and is in charge of her entire treasury. But as he made his journey to the Jerusalem temple for worship, he would have known that there was a further difficulty awaiting him. The part of the temple where men worshipped would have been off limits to him, because in common with many ancient cultures, the Deuteronomic purity laws forbade the entry of eunuchs into the worshipping assembly. He would have had to stay in the open temple court with the Gentiles and the women, rather than entering the heart of the temple complex with the other men. So here we have this complex person. He is both man and not man. He is both at the centre of society and on the margins. He is wealthy and powerful, but excluded and othered. He is devout and seeking God, but in a religious culture that deems him unacceptable to God because of who he is. And here we come to my first challenge for us this morning. There are many people in our world whose bodies tell complicated stories, from minority ethnicity, to non-binary gender, to diverse sexuality, 
to the plain old patriarchal oppression of women. And yet God called Philip to go to the Ethiopian eunuch to tell him that he is absolutely included in the story of God's love made known through the life of Jesus and to baptise him as a symbol and sign of his full acceptance and belonging. So this morning, where are you in this story? Are you Philip? Called to go courageously and at personal cost to your own power and privilege, to reach out to those whom others would exclude, to proclaim the gospel of God's absolute love in Jesus Christ. Are you Philip? Or are you the Ethiopian eunuch, tired of being excluded, longing to find embrace in the loving arms of God's people, longing for the release from the narratives of shame that write themselves onto your body and into your soul? Are you the Ethiopian eunuch? I'm planning a baptismal service for later in the year. And if you're finding this morning that the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch is ringing true in your life, and if you've not been baptised yet, maybe now is the time to do so. Maybe this can be the next step in your journey of discovering your absolute value to God and your place in God's people. As the eunuch said to Philip, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptised? So let's get back to the story. Philip went over to the Ethiopian and found him reading from the servant song of Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 7 to 8, if you're interested. This is where the prophet reflects on the suffering of Israel in exile, using language that surely resonated with aspects of the Ethiopian's own experience of the world. If you read that, those couple of verses from Isaiah that, that are being quoted here, we get words such as afflicted, maimed, done unto, cut off, stricken, humiliated, denied justice. And the Ethiopian surely sees himself reflected here in Isaiah's lament over Israel. And he asks Philip whether this ancient text from the time of the Jewish Babylonian exile might also have an application beyond its original historical context. Can this speak to him as well as to Israel of old? It's also surely significant that just a few paragraphs later in Isaiah's song of the suffering servant, if we had read on a little bit from the passage that the Ethiopian is quoted as reading, we find Isaiah offering a vision of a new world where those who are excluded in this world find acceptance and welcome from God amongst God's people. Isaiah 56 specifically names eunuchs, foreigners and the outcasts of Israel as those whom God will gather joyfully to his holy mountain and his house of prayer, which is of course a reference to the very temple that the Ethiopian eunuch could not currently enter. Isaiah says in chapter 56 verse 7, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples this Ethiopian eunuch is longing to belong, longing to find himself at home with God and God's people. And Philip opens the scriptures to him. Yes, he says, this ancient passage spoke first to Israel's suffering and exile in Babylon. And yes, it speaks to the eunuch's personal situation 
but, says Philip, it also speaks to the story of Jesus, in whom God has drawn near to those who are far off, inviting all peoples, regardless of gender, ethnicity, sexuality or social standing, to take their place in the house of God. Jesus was himself the victim of injustice. And through Jesus, God enters the lives of all those who are cut off, restoring them to fullness of life. And then after a quick roadside baptism, Philip is off again. This isn't a story of careful, long-term pastoral care and support. It's a story of a moment of encounter, transformation and radical inclusion. We don't get to know the next step in the Ethiopian eunuch's life, although later traditions claim that he returned to Ethiopia and founded the Ethiopic church. And we only know a little bit about Philip, who crops up again later in the book of Acts, where he is described tellingly as Philip the evangelist, with four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. But as we reflect on Philip, this impulsive itinerant evangelist, the challenge I hear that I, I want uh, to offer for us as I conclude this morning is this isn't a challenge of how can I be more irresponsible for Jesus? Nor is it how can I hear Jesus directing each moment of my day? But rather, I think it is can I, can we, like Philip and like Paul, that other early Jewish convert to Christianity, truly grasp? how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, as Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 3. Can we embrace and extend a gospel for all peoples, where all are valued, all are loved and all are welcomed? Hello everyone, um, I'm going to ask you guys, uh, if you have any thoughts initially about today's sermon. I think I, I was reflecting again on something that's sort of popped up for me a few times over the last few weeks about thinking about where you see yourself in the stories in scripture and how we can, I've said again, those of us with intersecting privileges, how we can often reflect, we see ourselves in the underdog without recognizing and I, Simon's right about not being able to write the reality of um, our modern day racism onto this story but we can't read it without recognizing the context that we're in ourselves um, so I was just I was reflecting on where would I place myself in this story and I at the moment I'm not sure I'm the eunuch or Philip but I hear the, the call to recognize how open and inclusive the love of God is Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. Solomon, do you have any? I see you also just. Yes. Um, in in my understanding, um, it takes um, a level of uh, let's say quote unquote Christian maturity to um, to understand uh, difference and 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 tolerance. For example. Um, Recognizing that uh, the the center of of of, of God's uh, uh, love is 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 very relative to, to to tolerance and to difference, 
And in my walks of life, it, it, it really uh, took me some time uh, to understand uh, uh, and these things. And it, 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 I've given me some level of freedom and, 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 and a desire uh, wanting to to be to be blessed as a Christian, basically, and to understand how people, um, whether they are ethnically different, different in uh, the way of thinking, different uh, in the way of dressing, uh, sexual orientation, all of these things are just things that it takes a lot of maturity to 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 accept and uh, to grow into. So I feel blessed um, by by the relation between Philip and um, and the eunuch in, in expressing God's God's love. Yes, thank you. That is, um, yes. Um, and then Matthew, the only one who hasn't spoken yet. <laughs> yeah, I I I find this story in Acts telling largely because of what I know is to come in the stories of Acts, as well as what we know from the history prior. Um, so you've got the, the covenant with the Jewish people that they are going to be a blessing to the whole world. You see Jesus, when he's there speaking and teaching, doesn't distinguish between whether it's a Samaritan woman at a well who he's going to go and talk to who would be exceedingly excluded by Jewish society or if it's Jairus and the Jewish leader who's looking for help for his daughter but then you go on from this story in Acts and you've got Peter being sent to the Roman centurion you get Paul being sent to the Gentiles to carry that good news beyond and it's all very inclusive and yet when Paul comes back to Jerusalem at the end of some of his preaching tours he has to justify why he is taking that good news to the Gentiles rather than the Jews first and societally I think I probably see myself first in that group that would be going at first, why are we taking it to the others? But then also seeing that pattern and accepting the need to take it, take that news to others to include people. I can see the cultural desire to hoard good news and benefit for your own kind. But at the same time, that call that says that we have to share that love of God, we have to spread that good news, we have to include all in that because it is a good news for all. Yeah, that's true. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. Um, does anyone else have anything they want to share? Um, I was just also thinking uh i mean at the beginning when simon said micromanaging i was like <laughs> i don't like that idea at all because i feel like micromanaging and free will like are not cannot really be the in the same situation 
but then it's like it should be our free will to go out to um to the marginalized as we feel called to by jesus and like to not be exclusionary like is to let the eunuch like come into the temple and like sit with the gentiles and the women but to be anti-exclusionary is to like go to them and like baptize them um and so like that is kind of what really struck with me and just that god went to go and see the marginalized there and god didn't like send um somebody to the temple and be like hey guys you should let this guy in like god just assumed that like well uh, yeah in a kind of way assumed that like you guys understand me it's for everyone so i'm just gonna take this guy and put him over here so i think that was one of some of the things that's that struck with me um as far as uh let's see what the chat has to say i think nigel's asked a very pertinent question in the uh, chats simply are we seeking out the seekers it is noticeable in this story the eunuch is seeking to gain understanding he asks philip to explain it to him how can he understand if no one's going to tell him and if he's excluded from the area where that teaching will occur i think that answers jeff's question about does this allow us to trample over other religions and cultures well no because what this story shows is that you had someone who was open and responsive to the movement of God, to, to that message of love. And it's not about us going out and overriding and overriding that free will, I guess, or that you talk about, Fifi. Like, like that, like it's, it's that going where God is already working, going and seeing where God's spirit is. I'm using very Christian language this morning. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and, and, and going where the energy is, going where the life is. I've, I think for me, um, doing community ministry and that, I, that sense of that's what my vocation, that's what my call is, is because I see like if God is love, so Libby, I'm talking about God being love again. Um, if God is love, um, then wherever love is, God is. And so therefore go where the love is because that's where God is. You've got to go where the response is going to be. Thank you, Don. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Michael's just saying the eunuch is seen by queer theologians as a stand-in for all queer folk. Um, and his story must be seen in light of a radical inclusion occurring here. And I definitely thought that too. I was like, this is kind of um, definitely like God speaking out for LGBT qi plus community and um allowing everyone um and also just about like the the trampling uh of um like um, other religions and uh cultures i think that our modern day understanding of um evangelism has a lot of like these kind of negative connotations with it um and uh i think that that really we are just sharing god's love with everyone 
and we have to kind of think of it like that. But we're not erasing anything, but just adding more love. Um, yes, that's true. My, my guy is not being an imperialist, carrying his faith out with his culture. Um, thank you so much, everyone. Thank you for all of your uh, comments. It's been amazing. I could talk about this all day, but actually I should probably get on with the next part of the sermon. So thank you, all the panelists. Thank you, Don, Maki and Solomon um, for joining in the discussion today. Um, and yeah, do continue the discussion in the chat and afterwards. It's uh, lovely to hear your thoughts. Matthew, you are muted. I thought I had an unmuted. Oh well. Let us pray. Loving God, we come to you again together, yet apart, scattered across our city and beyond. We thank you for the technology and skills that allows us to continue to gather and continue to listen, to worship and to learn. Yet we are yearning still for the opportunities to gather as a community in person again, to show love for one another and to love for our city. We bring to you our planet. We thank you for the renewed focus on climate change and new targets for the reducing of carbon emissions. We ask for your guidance and courage as we seek to hold our leaders to these new pledges and to ensure that the achievement of these is equitable, bringing opportunity to those most in need. We bring the nation of India to you as they struggle with their second COVID spike. Give strength and grace to their medical staff as they face the challenges of limited space and resources. Keep them safe as they fear for their own safety and that of their families. We bring Dr. Sasa and the Couching Baptist Network before you. We hold them up in our prayers and ask for your strength and protection for them as they stand up for the people of Myanmar in opposition to the military dictatorship and coup. We pray for a peaceful restoration of civilian and democratic control and for their individuals and protection for them. Closer to home, we bring our city and the mayoral election to you. We pray for the assembly coming this week. May the candidates come to listen and hear the issues their electorate are prioritising. And then we face into our community, our congregation. We each lift some of the individuals in our congregation to you. And I ask that we each take a moment of silence now to pray for someone else in this congregation. Loving God, please each of our, hear each of our concerns for each other. Finally, we bring our whole congregation to you. 
May the church meeting this afternoon be a time of discernment as we seek to live out provoking faith in London. Amen. May the love of God bless you and keep you and shine out from you this week. Amen.